Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. All right, Matthew 5, will you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to start at verse number 8. New King James is what I read from. It's just our custom to stand on Sundays as we invite God's Word into the service. Look at verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The title is The Beatitudes. This is part three. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. I pray, God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated for the last time this morning. And as has already been stated in this sermon series, I I feel like I repeat myself a lot over the last uh, two Sundays, but the Beatitudes that Jesus is preaching here is not just to reform society, but to change the hearts of lost people just like you and I. It has been very challenging to study this. It has been very challenging to preach this. It's been very challenging to walk through this. It's been very emotional for me because it's almost like looking in a mirror for myself and and, and not just... A lot of times whenever I've read the Beatitudes, I've just read them. You know, you just kind of read them and you keep going. But when you stop and you really begin to apply that Beatitude to your life and to understand that Jesus expects us to live according to this sermon that he preached in Matthew 5, it has absolutely rocked me. It's challenged me. And uh, I feel like I'm, I'm different by my own preaching. Come on, somebody. You know that's bad when the preacher is having to answer his own altar calls. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's good or bad. (laughs) But the Beatitudes are not to be compared to wise sayings in the world. For example, the Beatitudes are not like the Chinese Proverbs. What are the Chinese Proverbs? They are popular sayings taken from literature or history or famous people such as philosophers. And and, and I'll see people quote uh, Chinese Proverbs on their Facebook page. Little little sayings that are good to live by or whatever the case may be. But the Beatitudes are not those. You can't compare them to those types of things. Matthew chapter 5 that we have been reading are not suggestions. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen gentlemen they are not simply ideas for you to contemplate whether I should or should not live according to the Beatitudes Jesus Jesus teaches that what a born-again believer looks like they look like this and again in his sermon of Matthew 5 6 and 7 he says you're going to know who are who's true and who's not true by the fruit in which they bear but the question is is what fruit are you judging how do you judge the fruit you judge the fruit according to the Beatitudes are you listening to me? And that's the reason it is so heavy. Because whenever I begin to look at someone's life and, and they, they, they say they're a Christian, they say they're, they're born again. And then I begin to say, okay, well, let's check out the Beatitudes here. And we begin to, begin to compare our life based upon what the scriptures say. Wow, that absolutely rocks my world personally. And I hope that you're understanding the depth of this teaching. So the fruit of salvation looks like this. It looks like somebody who 
who is poor in spirit. They're humble. There's a humility about them. It looks like someone who mourns over sin. They don't gloss over sin. They don't look past sin. But they're deeply moved by their own sin and by the sin of others. It looks like someone who is meek. Someone who puts others ahead of themselves. Who, who, who promotes others and not themselves. It, it looks like somebody who's hungry and who's thirsty for righteousness. Who loves worship. Loves the word. Wants to go deeper into God's presence. It looks like somebody who is merciful. Who gives mercy and extends mercy. People do all kinds of things to them. But they say I forgive you. And I give you mercy. It looks like a peacemaker. Not a troublemaker. Come on somebody. You got that one. That was last week. And so today we end this series with two that we have not studied yet. So point number one is Matthew chapter 5 verse number 8. We're going to study what pure in heart looks like. Practically what does it look like? What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, let's start right here. It is referring to an internal purity. Go to the next slide. I want you to apply the definition of the word purity into your spiritual life, okay? Internally, your spiritual life. So the definition is, is not mixed with any other substance, free of any con uh, uh, contaminants. In other words, to be pure in heart is to have no spiritual compromise in your heart. I told you, man, you just, I, I can't make these any better. They're heavy, y'all. They're heavy. So to be pure in heart is not to have any spiritual compromise in your life. The heart that Jesus is speaking about here is not in our chest that pumps blood. It's not your organ. Come on. Y'all know that, right? All right. So it's. It's referring to one's thinking. Oh, my goodness, help me. It's the seat of one's intelligence. Let me give you some examples. In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5, this is what the Lord is referring to. Uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his, somebody say, heart was only evil continually. That's right before Noah's flood. But I want you to notice that God, it, he used the word heart to show that their intentions were evil. God used the word heart to show that their thoughts were evil, that they were not lining up with God. And so the way we judge the purity of one man's heart or one woman's heart is to look at your thoughts. Are you listening to me right here? Look at Matthew 15, verse number 9. Again, I'm just trying to give you an example of what pure in heart means. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Where does it come from? It comes from your heart, your mind, your intellect, the seat of, of how you reason in yourself. Look, uh, all, all the different various uh, sins that are associated with that. Look where it comes from, your heart. Now watch this, watch. Look at Romans 10, 9. Look how somebody gets saved. Here's the born-again experience. This is how it all makes sense. So if out of your heart comes all of this filthiness of sin, out of the heart is the reason Noah's flood came, well, look how you are born again. Look what it's referring to, ladies and gentlemen, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, the way you are born again is to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your thinking patterns. Are you listening to what I'm saying? It is impossible to be saved and not change the way you think. 
Woo, help me preach this thing. Y'all acting like y'all have never heard the gospel before. I think the problem is, is we've always just said, oh yeah, just believe in your heart, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and you can be saved. But yet we forget that what he's talking about is that you change the way you treat other people. You change the way you talk. You change the way you act. You change the way you think. And I can't find it in scripture. No other way. Because as soon as you begin to change and you begin to put Jesus in your heart, then you got to go straight right here to the Beatitudes and figure out how am I supposed to live now. Y'all going to be glad when I get off this series, aren't you? So this was not a new concept. This concept was found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 6. This, this was always the intent of God. Notice right here, it says the circumcision of what? Your heart. It, not just your flesh, but your heart. Your heart has got to change. Well, I don't want it to change. I know that's what we got to work on. That's the, crucif- the, the crucifying of your flesh. To be pure in heart is to be single in purpose. In other words, it is this right here. If you confess Jesus and you get born again, here it is. I'm going to lay it down for you plainly. This is what pure in heart means. It means this right here. I serve Jesus, period. I serve Jesus, period. I follow Jesus' teaching, period. No other compromise, no other, no other concepts. I follow Christ, him and him only. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this right here. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. Not with part of your heart, not with part of your mind, not with a double or divided heart. You can't be loyal to the teachings of Christ and loyal to your own concepts and your own opinion. You can't be loyal to Jesus and his teachings and loyal to the ways of this world. I don't care how you justify it. I don't care how you you whitewash it, how you look over it, how you sweep it under the rug. I'm just telling you right now, Jesus wants it all Woo, he wants it all ladies and gentlemen he don't want half of it that would it so if you are d- double or divided in your heart that would be the opposite of pure in heart that would be an impure heart because purity is undefilement give you another example in James chapter 1 verse number 8 it talks about a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways this verse is an example of an unpure heart Right here. Because a pure heart is here. I'm not double-minded. My mind is made up. What is your mind made up as according to the teachings of Jesus? Not Jason. Not the Revival Center. Not First Baptist, First Met. What a, what a, not, not, none of that. I'm talking about picking up your Bible and reading it and saying, I, I am not a double-minded man because this is where I stand. I'm not going to move from it. It is a purity of heart. Am I making sense to you? I hope so. Let me keep going right here. Look at Psalms 51 verse 10. This was David. Now this is known as the repentance chapter. This is when David gave his heart back to the Lord after he had sinned. And notice what he says. He was sinning. This was the Bathsheba moment right here. And then he was confronted and then he repented. But notice in the repentance, he said, create in me a clean heart. That was the seat of his repentance because that is the seat of his intellect that made the decision that I'm going to look over this balcony. I'm going to look at Bathsheba. It was in his intellect that he said, bring Bathsheba to me. It was in his intellect that he said, put Uzziah on the front line, make sure he dies. It was his scheming that he was doing. And he said, all of that was trash. All of that was fleshly. All of that was sin. And I need to get back to the purity of serving God so God. 
God, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Woo! Are you seeing this? It's powerful. This is, this is what changes people. This is what changes a church. This right here is what will change a country. Not the, not the, not, not, not the tiptoe and stuff around it. I'm talking about jumping in with no parachute, nothing. You go all in. You say, that makes me nervous. Good. I hope everybody's nervous right now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> go to the next slide. i got to preach this again. Let me calm, calm down. All right, look at Psalms 24, verse 4. This is David, still David. Notice what he talks about here. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Again, this is referring to what a purity of heart refers to. There's no mixture. You're not bringing anything else into it. David, who was not perfect, I just proved that. David, who did not always keep a pure heart, gives us a clue about being a pure heart. This man, who was, who was not always pure, watch. He was a man after God's own heart. Watch. David, even though he was not pure at times, I believe that it was the fact that he continually went after God in worship, continually, continually went after God in praise. It always gave that man a fighting chance, even though he did go off a little bit at times. Are you tracking with me right there? It always gave him a fighting chance. David had good sense of life. He had good seasons of life. But he also had not so good seasons of life. But those seasons did not change who God is. It did not change who God was. To be pure in heart is to say this right here. I am not healed today. But I'm still going to praise God today. Because he can heal me tomorrow. That's the purity right there. It means that my family is not saved today, but I'm going to praise God today because he can save them tomorrow. That's the purity. You are still God, and you're still my God, and I'm going to go after you in the purity of who I am. David faced wilderness experiences. He faced cave experiences. He faced heartache experiences, but yet the pure heart said, I seek you right here in this dry season. I'm going to thirst for you right here in a hard season. I am going to long for your presence no matter what chaos is going on around me and some of the chaos I brought on to my own self but create in me a pure heart once again. The pure heart says wilderness seasons don't last forever. God has been good. God is good. God will be good and my praise is going to outlast my trouble. Somebody say amen right there. That's what the pure heart says because the pure heart is after God's heart. <laughs> Woo, and I, my praise will outlast this trouble. You got to learn how to praise God in every situation if you're going to keep a pure heart. Praise will thaw out the coldest of seasons. Praise can break the attacks of the devil, and praise will release the joy of the Lord into your life. Worship is the lifestyle of a believer. And if you're going to keep a pure heart, you got to praise your way through some things, and you've got to worship your way through some things. It is a lifestyle of thanksgiving. It is a lifestyle of peace. It is a lifestyle of confidence in God. My circumstances say, I should not praise God right now. That's what my circumstances say. You look around, and, and there's nothing good happening here. Ain't nothing good happening there. But yet, here you are in church on a rainy Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. Other things happening because there's something pure down in your heart that has not been defiled yet that says, I'm going to walk in here, and I'm going to give God praise anyhow. 
The kingdom, yes, Lord, the kingdom of God is built by such people. The kingdom of God is not built by impure folks who's going to fall out with you at the first drop of the hat. No, it is built by the purity of men and women's heart. People who just keep on keeping on. <laughs> oh, Lord, mm, I didn't got myself happy, y'all. Going through a death, but yet you continue to praise God. Going through a sickness, but yet you continue to praise God. That's purity. Lonely, you're single, but you're praising God because you know that God is worthy of everything in your heart. Same sermon, Matthew 6, pure heart, same sermon. Notice what he said. He said, listen, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. In other words, he is stacking other principles on top of the B attitudes and those who are pure in heart is going to seek God first Uh uh-huh this is a sign of purity it means that I am going to make it a priority in my life a pure heart people will seek after the heart of God God is not a last resort he is your first priority David the, the the Psalm 51 David's highest pursuit was not escaping the troubles that he was in David's highest highest pursuit was not escaping the desert seasons, the painful seasons, or the valley seasons. David was after or in pursuit of the presence of God. Are you listening to me? Don't lose sight of following after God. Don't lose sight of that. Sometimes we get pulled over here to the left or pulled over here to the right trying to solve problems all the time. But sometimes you don't even need to seek the healing. Just seek the healer. Are you hearing me? Don't seek the blessing. Just seek the blesser. Just go after God. Just put everything else to the side and say, God, it's me and you, and I'm coming for you. I'm going to fast a little bit. I'm going to pray a little bit. I'm going to come after you because I know that a man can't save me. I know that a man can't fix me. A man can't shift me. I must go to Jesus Christ. Christ. Pure in heart is what we're talking about. Never allow what God does for you be more important than who he is to you. I've seen it many times. God bless somebody. You know, they've been praying. Maybe there was in between jobs. Hey, preacher, can you pray for me? We pray. God blesses them. All of a sudden, I don't see them for six months until they get laid off again. Come on. Don't make me get serious. Don't make me find your business. Come on, somebody. Mm-hmm. Come on. You got to serve God. You got to serve God. God must mean more to you than what he has done for you. He's got to mean something pure in heart. It means this right here. Keep God on your mind all the time. Joshua 1.8. I'm not going to quote the whole thing. But it says you got to meditate day and night. Day and night. Do you see that? Day and night. Meditate day and night. Go- keep God on your mind. God is on my mind. Proverbs 23 verse 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Watch. You can't have a dirty mind and a clean life. Can I say that again? You can't have a dirty mind and a clean life. You can't have a defeated mind and a victorious life. You have to have God on your mind. This is a pure heart, not mixed with the things of this world. How do you become a disciple? It is not what you do in one day. It is going to be what you do daily. God is on my mind daily, every single day. So therefore, you can't have a clean mind and a dirty life. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me right now. 
That's all right. I'm going to preach it anyways. You can't have, you, your mind cannot be on God all the time. Your mind can't be on serving Jesus all the time and have a dirty life. It ain't, it just don't work that way. I'm trying to tell you, if you want to have a pure heart, get God on your mind day and night. Amen. All right. I'm moving on. Point two. And you know I only got two points because that's the last two. So you know I'm almost done. Man, praise the Lord. Not really. No. All right, here we go. Point number two. It is only two points. Matthew 5.10. So now, why is it, this is my question that I struggled with on the Beatitude right here. Why is it that the righteous suffer persecution? I've always struggled with this because sometimes persecution doesn't just come from the outside of the church. Sometimes persecution comes from inside the church. And I've never, I've struggled with this my whole life because it seems like I've always gotten in trouble everywhere I've went. Come on. All right, even going back to Troy First Assembly, all the way back then, because we were in this little bitty fellowship hall, and they, I mean, the thing was, like, it really wasn't a fellowship hall. We have classrooms right now in the Family Life Center that is much bigger than that fellowship hall, okay? And so we only had six students, and all of a sudden, you start bringing more than six students in that little bitty room, it's going to get loud, and it's amazing. Everybody got mad at me. Come on, somebody, because that little fellowship room was too small, and it got loud, and it started bleeding over to the adults. And so now the, the 21-year-old youth pastor is being called into the board. I need to quit confessing all this stuff. Let me just get back to my notes. I'm still praying through some stuff, y'all. Amen. Because <laughs> I, I struggle with this one, man. I do. So if the world doesn't like our message, then why don't they just simply ignore it, turn their backs to it, and go the other way? You see what I'm saying? If you don't like the message... You don't got to listen to it. Just go and do your own thing. You, you don't got to come and mess it up for everybody else, okay? So these are things that I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating here. So as I begin to answer that question, I answer it with a few reasons, and, and you can check it out right here and see what you think, okay? So here it is. Number one, the gospel message is an offense to the lost world. Period. If somebody is lying... And you come up here and you start preaching against lying. That person is either going to get convicted and repent or they're going to get mad at you. Okay? Because the gospel message is offensive to those areas that our life doesn't line up with. Okay? And so I learned a long time ago that I need to have a humble, uh, humbleness about me. So when the Lord convicts me, I go to the altar and I pray and Lord forgive me my sins kind of thing. I don't want to begin to justify. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting, let me just keep going. So the nature of Christ, watch. The nature of Christ-like living and the nature of the sinfulness of men creates tension between the message and the mindset and the way of life in this world. Okay, you tracking with me? So watch, listen to me. Conflict is inevitable. Okay, conflict is inevitable. You're not going to bypass it. You're going to have uncomfortable conversations at times because you're living for Jesus. You're going to have uncomfortable conversations with your family because you're living with Jesus. You cannot avoid it. Let me give you a couple of examples. Acts 19 verse 27 for time's sake. I'm not going to read all this. I'm just showing you as an example of some conflict that happened. But in Acts 27, uh, 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 Paul is preaching in Ephesus and folks begin to get saved to the point that they quit buying the little idols verse 28 and so because they quit buying the little idols they stopped making so much money mm -hmm. come on 
talk to me in here. Yeah. And so what they did is that we can't stand for this. Go to the next slide, verse 29. And so they came and they attacked Paul. They came and attacked his ministry team. And they began to persecute him because revival had broken out in Ephesus. And just because everybody's getting saved, just because the church is growing, doesn't mean everybody's going to clout for you. There's going to be some folks that come and try to tear you to pieces and try to de- degrade you. A, a riot happened. That, so he had to escape out the backside or they were about to kill that man. Why? Because he said Jesus Christ is Lord and if you're going to serve him, you got to have a purity of heart. you got to give up those idols. And people started giving up those idols. And because of that, because of the, that, that happening, conflict was inevitable. You tracking with me? Let me give you another example. Acts chapter 4 verse number 18. I am going to read this one. Now watch. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. If you preach in the name of Jesus, boy, it's going to be bad for you. We're going to come and get you. We're going to defriend you on Facebook. We're not going to like you no more. We're going to say some things about you. Okay. All right. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Because this is the pushback. Some people will say, well, you need to obey the laws of the land. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yes, to a degree. But this is, this is going to be my new stance moving forward in 2022. When there comes, because there's so much crazy stuff going on right now in our world, you know, and, and, and I'm tired of people trying to blackmail me and say, well, preacher, you need to do what the laws of the land. This is what I'm going to say. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, I'm going to let you judge. Come on, somebody. I'm making my mind up. I'm making my mind up in front of all of y'all right now. You can judge. Next slide. This is what I'm going to say. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So I can't help but to stand out here and preach what Jesus Christ commands us to preach. I can't help but to share the gospel that he died for. I can't help but to share what he has done for me. Somebody say amen right there. And how many of you know? Conflict is inevitable. Let me give you one more. Acts 17, verse number 6. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Conflict is inevitable. Verse 7. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of the government, saying there is another king, Jesus. When you begin to declare that there's another king named Jesus, trust me, conflict is inevitable. This shows us another root cause right here of why I believe conflict and persecution happens. Right here, I'm over, this is my other side of answering that question. Look at Luke 16, verse 13. This is another teaching aspect of it. Why does persecution happen? No servant can serve two masters. Either he's going to say the word, hate that's, that's, a, that's a strong word. Hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You, now he's referring to money. You cannot serve God and mammon. But, but watch, I want you to see this. Jesus demands 100% loyalty. Okay, that's what he demands. That's what he demands. He puts it out there plainly that you have to follow him. His teaching, period, 
pure in heart. And because of the message of purity, it creates a divide. And you can't serve one and the other. You're going to love one and you will absolutely hate the other. You tracking with me right here? So watch. Now, 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 here it comes. Here comes the persecution. Same context, Luke 16, verse 15. Same context. And he said to them, you are those who, somebody say, justify. There it is. There it is. You can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one, love the other, loyal to one, despise the other. And because of your decision that you're loving one or hating the other, you are going to justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. In other words, persecution comes like this. You try to justify yourself before men. And the way you justify yourself before men is by tearing down somebody else. Can y'all handle this? Okay? That's how it happens. You try to justify yourself by tearing and attacking somebody else. So here we see why persecution happens to the believer. The, you love, love of something evil, not Jesus, okay? Love of something evil, not Jesus. And then the need to justify that love of something evil causes persecution to come because of the message of purity. Woo! Oh, this is, I'm preaching better than you shouting right now. So if we preach as an example, I could bring more, I could bring more, but as an example, if we preach that fornication is sin, sexual relation uh, is, is sin outside of marriage, that, that's what fornication means, then, then watch, if I preach that message, that goes against what the world says right now, right? The world don't preach that message, okay? So if I preach that message... The world says something against it. And so to justify themselves, the person who is sinning has to put Jesus and the preacher down in order to justify their evil behavior. Persecution. That's the reason, friend, you are not going to escape it. If you're going to do this the right way, now you can escape it if you're going to be wishy-washy. Okay? You go escape it if you, if you allow impurity to come in and you try to, you know, make everybody happy and all that kind of stuff. You, you might can get past some of it. But here's the thing. If you're going to do this the right way and you're going to have a pure heart, then you're not going to allow anything that is impure to come into your heart. Right? And so when that impurity tries to come, you're going to say, no, thank you. I can't do that. No, I can't talk to you. No, I can't do that over there. I can't participate. And that is going to cause conflict with some of your family members, some of your friends, because they're going to say, what? You think? Ain't you too good now? <laughs> oh, I've been there, done that, y'all. My family done got over that, though. They already know how Jason is, and so we're just good now. But anyways, attacks are going to come to justify the disobedience. So what is our response when you are attacked for the purity message in which you're trying to live out? What are you, what are you to do? Well, we just read it a while ago. Rejoice. <laughs> Be happy. Worship God. James 1 uh, verse number 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You ought to have a praise service. Come on, somebody. With tears running down your eyes. Yeah. You ought to break out and start worshiping God because you have, you have been found worthy to, to go through this persecution for the purity I don't need that, no way. I've got a backup, praise the Lord. 
So here it is. So here it is. So what is our response? James 1, 2. Another one is Acts 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to him. Now, you know where they were at, right? They had been beaten. They had been put in jail. Why? Because of the purity of their heart, because of the purity of their message. They didn't like it. They were trying to justify themselves, the sinners, and so they put him in jail. And what did they do? They went to singing. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Do you realize that when you are in jail, when people are coming against you and you're walking through a hard times, you don't necessarily feel like praying. You don't feel like singing hymns, but you got to tell your lips, lips, you go sing. You say, I don't, I don't believe that. I'll go to the next slide. I'll show you. This is Bible. I'm in the Bible. Because of your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. In other words, I don't feel like it. But I command my little lips right here is about to open up my mouth and give your praise. I demand it. I'm telling my own self that I am going to praise the Lord. Praise team, go ahead and get up here because my lips are about to praise God. Amen, somebody? Look at Now watch. Now compare that either your lips are going to praise God or next slide, your lips are going to be set on fire by hell. You got to make a decision. You got to make a decision. I'm making a decision that I'm not going to allow my lips to be set on fire by hell itself. I am going to command my lips that the only thing that's going to come out of my mouth is going to be praise and worship unto God. My lips shall praise the Lord. Are you running your mouth or is your mouth running you? Come on, somebody, talk to me in here. Y'all wasn't ready for that one, were you? I'm, I'm, about to get, I'm about to be done. Go back to, to, to 63 verse 3. Now, why do you sing at midnight, Paul and Silas? Why do you command your lips to praise him? Why do you do it? Because, look at that word right there, because I am going to worship God. I'm going to praise God because of your loving kindness is better than life. So why do you go to church on Sunday morning when you don't feel like it? Somebody say, because... Because of your loving kindness. So why do you pray when you don't feel like praying? Somebody say, because. Because. Why do you read your Bible? Because. So why do you raise your hands in church? Why do you clap your hands in church? Why do you worship in church? Somebody say, because. I worship because His loving kindness is better than life. Oh, it's not because everything is good in my life. No, I worship and I praise because of what He has done in my life. Why do you still do what you do for God? Because God has been good to me in the past and He's going to be good to me again in the future. That's the reason we say hallelujah in church. That's the reason we have songs that say hallelujah. Do you know what hallelujah means? It's a Hebrew word. It means God be praised. That's what it means. God be praised. So your hallelujah belongs only to God. Are you hearing me? God be praised in every situation. And I'm done right here. 1 Peter 3, verse number 14. I'm reading this verse and I'm, I'm done. The altar call is happening. But even if you should suffer, there it is, for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Even if it comes from people you love. Even if it comes from your co-workers. Even if it comes from the church. You are blessed. Now you got to make sure that, the, that you're suffering because of righteousness sake and not some 
crazy stuff you've been doing. Watch now. Come on, talk to me. That's another message, okay? All right, I don't have time to hit all of it, but make sure you read it in the context. And it says, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled by them. If there was ever a message that true, born-again, pure-heart Christians need to hear in 2022 is this verse right here. You cannot allow this world that is totally opposite and contrary to the God that we serve make you afraid. You can't worry about their threats, nor can you be troubled by what they say towards you. You are going to be blessed by their threats. You're going to be blessed by the trouble that you're going through. And guess who's going to be blessing you? God. That's right. Somebody say amen right there. I'm done. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.